Well, good morning. For those who don't know me, my name's Kyle. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel. And right now what we're doing is we, as a church, are going through the book of Philippians, looking at what Paul had to say to that early church in a town called Philippi, which is in ancient Macedonia. This letter was written about 62 AD. Uh, If you got your Bible, I'd love for you to open it up to that great old letter uh, so that we can dive into it. And today, as we dive in, I'm hoping we feel as if we find a little bit of an oasis today. You know, up to this point, we've been hearing Paul talk about the things that we ought to do and the way we ought to be and how we should live in relationship to one another as followers of Jesus, being like Jesus, being for Jesus. And it's all really important stuff. But one of the challenges sometimes, I find at least, is that as we go through these sections, is it can feel a little bit like we're getting beat up. I mean, I feel a little bit like that each week as I prepare the messages. I'm sure sometimes you feel like I'm coming to beat you up uh, as I get up here on a Sunday. And I promise that's never the intention. I always hope to sort of hold that with the beauty and grace of the cross and the message of Jesus. But sometimes, right, we just, we feel so like distant from who Jesus is, that as we're being called to live like him and love him and live for him, it can just feel so like out of reach. And so it just feels so heavy and it just can feel just like, why are we even doing this? Like, why am I even rushing out to try to obtain this? And one of the great things that we have today is in the midst of all of this, in all of what Paul's trying to say we should aspire towards, he sort of takes a break. And in this break, he just says, let's go back to why. And as we go back to why, what we see is that Paul's really trying to tell us that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough for you. He's enough for me. Jesus is enough for us to live to a place where we're pleasing God. And so it's a bit of a reprieve today, I hope. I hope that as we kind of leave from this place at the end of today, we're going to be able to go, wow, it was just great to to worship God the God who is enough. It was great to be able to talk to him today, to hear from him today. And then as this all kind of comes together, I hope that you just walk away with a a little bit of a, a lighter step so that as you try to pursue being like Jesus, it's not guilt driven. It's not weighed down with, with shame maybe for that part that you don't live up to, but instead it's like, yes, I get to do this. And I know that in all my failings, Jesus is enough. And so let's read this sort of joyous passage. It's start, we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 3, and we're going to read through to 16, and then we'll dive in and see what Paul had to say. All right, Paul says, further, so he's kind of continuing on out of this message of living like Jesus. He says, further, this is what's next. My brothers and sisters, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in our flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence." If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I'm faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So I want to know Christ, Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or that I have already arrived at my goal, but instead I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this word. Lord, I thank you for what Paul has to say here. And Lord, uh, sometimes it's easy to look at Paul as this perfect and complete sort of figure, but Lord, uh, even Paul here knows he was not until he was with you. And so Lord, I just pray that as we come into your word today, Holy Spirit, would you just speak to us? Would you relieve us of some of the burden we bring? Would you bring us the joy that we're, we're called to or we're supposed to rejoice in you because of all these things? And so God, I pray that we would just have a little bit more joy at the end of today as we walk away from encountering you in your word. So Holy Spirit, would these words be yours, not mine? We give them over to you today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul sets up this whole section, right? He says, so here's what I want for you next. Further, my brothers and sisters, this is what I want for you. I want you to rejoice in Jesus. Right? This is sort of the baseline of why he's calling us to everything he's been calling us to. It's why he's been driving the church to live in a different way. He says, because I want you to celebrate Jesus and who he is for you. And as we go through these verses, what we see is, in fact, he gives us a lot of reasons to have joy. He talks about God's power and his presence and the fact that Jesus is enough so that we don't have to live in a certain way or be a certain thing in order to receive all that God would have for us. But he does give a warning right off the top. He says, while this is what I want for you, there are going to be people who want something else. They want something else for you and from you. And in verse 1 and 2, he actually calls them quite a nasty thing. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. 
Not particularly a nice thing that Paul has to say about a certain group of people. But he says, I could talk to you all about this time and time again because I care for you and I'm worried that there are going to be these people who are going to try to rob you of the things that Jesus should bring. And so he calls those people who go against this dogs who do evil. Now this is really a harsh reference to legalistic people. People who want to live exactly by the law without seeing what God can bring. Remember, we're steeped in an ancient culture of both being Hebrew and Greek in this early church. And as they're trying to wrestle with who Jesus is and what he can mean, there's all sorts of sort of implications and pulls on different parts of their cultural identity, their understanding of what it meant to be a person. And so what people would do is they'd kind of step in to that questioning and they'd go, well, let me give you the answer. And in this case, what we see is Paul speaking specifically of these Hebrews who were coming in and said, well, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In order to receive all what Jesus has to bring, you first have to become a Jew, and then you can become a Christian. This is why there's this reference to the circumcision that that would have to be undergone. If you wanted to be a Jew, didn't matter what age you were as a male, you'd have to go circumcision. And so they said, all right, guys, you want what Jesus has for you? Hop up on the table. You're the next one that goes under the scalpel. Well, that's for the men. What about for the women? Well, for you, either you have to live in a household under a man who's been circumcised. And again, Paul's not suggesting this, but this is the case of what these people were saying. Or you as a single woman would have to live a certain way, produce a certain type of sacrifice in order to be seen as holy and made right with God, first as a Jew, and then then your faith in Jesus would bring your salvation. Then all the promises that Jesus had for a life of flourishing, a life of peace, a life of relationship with God, now it can come to fruition. And Paul just says, that is garbage. That is so, so, so wrong. This is why he gives us this picture of these dogs. And, and, you know, when we think of dogs, what do we think of? Probably your, your household pet, right? Or a neighbor's pet. We think of something cute and fluffy. I have a big, nice Bernese mountain dog that loves to cuddle. And all she does is walk up beside you and put her head or her paw on you until you pet her till she's satisfied, which is never. Right? She's the most cuddly thing. That's what I picture when I picture a dog. This is not what Paul wanted to bring to our mind. Instead, in Paul's day, people didn't have cute little dogs to snuggle and to walk and to bring along with you. He pictured nasty street dogs full of disease after they are ridden with them because they eat garbage and drag things through the street and attack people and other animals. He's saying this is the type of news that that message brings. It's not a warm, fuzzy message. It's not something you ever want to be anywhere near. In fact, it's something you could stay super clear of. Which is why in verse 3 and 4, he says, For it is we who are already the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in our flesh, 
Paul's saying, what brings you into being able to have joy in Jesus isn't that you have gone through ritualistic hoops. It is the fact that you love Jesus and because of what Jesus has done and you serve him, those are the people who have much to receive. Those are the people who have great joy in their life. And so he says, ignore those other things. In fact, don't just ignore them. Run away from them like they're stray dogs who are chasing after you, who are going to bite you and give you a disease. And instead, appreciate this message that I'm trying to give you. Appreciate this message, which points us to the fact that it's actually Jesus who is enough. It's not the cultural heritage that you came from that made you right with God. It's not the things that you've done to harm yourself and to really sacrifice and to look like a really great person who loves God. No, it's none of those things. It's Jesus. It's us by his spirit working in us. It's because of him we celebrate. It's because of him we receive all these things. And this is, a, this is great news. And this is great news to receive for everybody, even those who we'd look at, like Paul, who we might say, well, why can we accept that from you? You know, it's, it's easy to understand. Maybe we might think, well, maybe Paul believes that because he wasn't a really great Jew. Maybe someone in that day might have said, well, well, I don't know Paul. He's this guy who's writing us a letter from hundreds of kilometers away, and, and yeah, I get that he helped start this church, but but maybe it's, it's because he didn't actually live up to these things that he actually puts them down, right? Like we do that. We see that sometimes, right? Where we want to elevate ourselves so we push down some other qualities or qualifications and whether it's work or in relationships or whatever. And maybe they're picturing that. And so Paul wants to squash that line of thinking. And he says, it's actually me who has a lot of confidence in these things, like if this was all it was down to was being super religious and coming from the right family, I've got all of those things, right? In the second part of verse 4 through verse 6, he gives us uh, seven different reasons why he doesn't even have to worry about these things. Why he, if this is what it all mattered about, he'd be, he'd be fine. He's squeaky clean. He goes, well, I was circumcised on the eighth day. So if we want to go back to that law that we're all supposed to be following, Leviticus 12, verse 3, done and dusted. My family took care of that right in the beginning. I'm also just a natural Jew. It wasn't that my family even just converted to Judaism and brought me into this at the right time. Well, no, I'm actually a descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I am told that I inherit all those promises because of who I am culturally. But not only am I an Israelite who receives those things, I'm actually from the tribe of Benjamin. That's the tribe of kings. I'm from the upper crust of Jewish society. I'm on top of this social hierarchy. That's why he says I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. I think it, I live it, I've embraced all there is for this thing to bring. So I, I'm the best just by lineage. But it doesn't stop there, Paul says. He says, actually, I uphold, held the law by being a Pharisee. 
We know the Pharisees, right? If we've studied scripture, we've looked at the life of Jesus. These are the religious leaders who made sure that they lived as perfectly as they possibly could. If there was a boundary put in from the law of God, they would put a boundary before that. They would say, well, I can't socialize with that type of person because maybe that would make me unclean. Well, I'm not even going to be allow, allow that person to be within 100 feet because I'm going to take extra measure. And, and that's me. I knew the scriptures. I knew the law. I lived within these extra boundaries to show just how good of a Jew I could be. And I lived it out, he said. He said, with zeal, I persecuted the church. So what he's referencing there, right, is, of course, the Jewish people, when they saw Jesus, said, that's not the Messiah. That's why they crucified him. And then because this sect of Jewish people started believing in Jesus, the Pharisees, some of them who were really extreme, said, not only do we have to stay away from that, we have to stomp it out. And so he participated in these things. He, and he would go to the nth degree. He would go imprison women. He would trans, take kids out of their family and throw them in a good Jewish family. He'd kill men. He'd do all these sorts of things because he knew that this is what it meant to be a good Jew. And finally, he said, in, in all of these things, I lived basically to perfection. I am what is holy, right? He says, in, as for righteousness, being right with God, based upon the law, I'm faultless. And so Paul says, I have everything if that's what we're going for. If we're really to believe what these dogs would have to say, I got it all. And so hear me when I say that's not what it's about. This isn't the thing that brings you joy. This isn't the thing that brings you hope and healing in Jesus' name because there's no Jesus' name there. No, he says, whatever, in verse 7, whatever were my gains, I now consider loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. I can give up all those things so that I can embrace more of who Jesus is. I can give up all those things so I can reach out to this Gentile world and help them to see that it's not about this certain way of living that makes us right with God, but in fact, it's about who Jesus is and what he brings. So he says, what, so what is more is that I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul's saying all this stuff that we're trying to bring in, that we're trying to believe, our motivations for accomplishing these things, they don't add up to what we need. This isn't the right math. In fact, Paul's saying there's a new understanding that what we actually once thought was great, we need to now see as worthless. We need to now sort of release those things from being weight upon us so that we can fully understand and know who Jesus is. So we can appreciate the beauty of what he accomplished on the cross, that it's not what I bring to the table, it's what he brought. 
It's not what I did to earn salvation, but the only thing I can boast in is him and the power that he has of defeating sin and death. Because of the fact that Jesus paid it all, I only have to have faith, which God brings, right? He says God brings stuff into our lives by his spirit. Because of that, I have freedom to let go of those things that I thought were such important things. This amazes me. I mean, like, if you just kind of tried to put yourself in Paul's shoes, to think that you once had that kind of stature in society, that anyone in Jewish culture would look up to you and see you as the pinnacle of achieving and believing, to then humble yourself to a place where you said, I actually consider all that I built up to be a pile of garbage because I realize it robbed me from the most important thing. What humility. I don't know if I could do it. Like, I don't know if I could live up to that place that Paul lived, but, but that's our aspiration. And there's a lot of freedom in that. For Paul, I'm sure there's freedom of, of the guilt of the persecution he carried for the church. I, I'm sure there's freedom from the shame that he has had brought upon himself where he realized he rejected those Jesus loved. He, he feels this great sense of freedom, surely, that he doesn't have to live up to these things anymore as a means of being made right with God. So why do we live in this way? Why do we live with the weight that feels that we have to do a certain thing for God to love us? That we have a certain set of achievements to accomplish in order to really be a good Christian. Anyone else feel that like me? I mean, some of us, maybe it was explicitly taught. You know, some of us grew up pretty fundamentalist and legalistic, and we were told, you have to be like this or else. If you don't achieve this, you're not a real Christian. Some of us got that message explicitly, and we totally missed out on the love and affection of God. For others, we maybe received that implicitly. We came to church, we felt beat up, we felt like there's something I have to achieve in order to receive all God would have for me. And, and so we just carry this weight with us, a certain way of being. Well, Paul shows us this is something we might need to learn to release. It's not that we release, you know, Paul still lived by his Jewish standards. It's not that he released all the good things that, that God could bring about in his life of helping him see who he is through those things. But what he released was the fact that this was a burden and that this was his identity, that this is what he needed to achieve. So even if all those things you've been taught or all those things you've thought are actually good, you can place down the baggage of the guilt of feeling like you need to do something for God to love you or for God to bring more blessing into your life. Paul's saying God's love is enough. 
You can let go of that identity. You can let go of that guilt. You can let go of that shame because Jesus already brought that all for you. Now, for some of us, there's almost an opposite message we need to hear in that, isn't that we need to uh, let go of the guilt and shame we're, we're claiming to keep moving forward. It's that some of us don't feel like we've made it far enough to really have a relationship with Jesus. There's some of us who go, well, I just haven't got my life together enough yet to be a Christian. I haven't taken the steps that I need to take in order for Jesus to love me. Well, the message that you need to hear is that has already taken place. Even decades before Paul wrote this letter, Jesus went to the cross to die for you and for me. Scripture says, while we were still his enemies, Jesus died for us. Long before we could have ever accomplished even the slightest move in our heart and our mind towards the goodness of God, Jesus said, I've taken care of it. The penalty's gone. The division's torn down. You just need to have some faith and follow me. And I'll do the good work. I'll love you. I'll bring you healing. I'll bring you to a place that you need to be. And it begins in an instant without you having accomplished a single thing. There's nothing we can add or take away from in our lives that makes us right with God beyond simply who he is and what he's accomplished. And so Paul took the time to count what was lost and what was gained. And in the end, he said, I'm able to celebrate. I'm able to rejoice in Jesus. Because with Jesus, I've gained enough. I want us all at some point today, whether it's even here sitting in this room or as you go home today, just to take stock of where you are. Take stock of the weight that you've brought into this place you are in life with Jesus and just ask, is, am I expecting certain things or am I trying to avoid certain things just so God would love me? Again, I'm not talking about the Christian living part. There's important elements there as we try to know Jesus and Paul's going to get to that. But we just need to really take stock of our motivation and our heart for pursuing after these things. Which is why Paul then goes on and he gives this picture of what the beauty is as we release all these things. In verse 10 and 11, he says, I want to know Christ. This is why I lay down this burden is because it helps me know Christ more. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings to become like him in his death so somehow I can attain the resurrection from the dead. The greatest joy for Paul wasn't the standing he had. It wasn't even the fact that he moved from being this great Jewish leader to being this great Christian leader who was the Apostle Paul who we'd know for a millennia. No, the thing that brought him the greatest satisfaction was knowing Jesus and knowing what that meant about being with him. Charles Spurgeon once said this, he said, people tell me that God is a refiner, that he cleanses from spots. 
and he has washed me in his precious blood, and to that extent I know him. They tell me that he clothes the naked, and he hath covered me with a garment of righteousness, and to that extent I know him. They tell me that he is a breaker, and that he breaks fetters, and he has set my soul at liberty, and therefore I know him. They tell me that he is a king, and he reigns over sin. He hath subdued my enemies before my feet, and I know him in that character. They tell me he is a shepherd. I know him, for I am his sheep. They tell me he's a doctor. I have entered in through him, and I know him as a door. That he, they say he is food, and my spirit feeds on him as the bread of heaven, and therefore I know him as such. I think one of the biggest challenges that many of us face to really be able to understand who God is, is we're not willing to surrender all the things we carry. You know, here he says, he's the one who takes care of me. Well, we live in such a way where we say, I have to take care of myself. And I have all the power within me to accomplish that very thing. Well, by living in such a way, we actually rob ourselves of allowing God to provide for you and me. One of the things, I, I know lots of people who, who struggle with uh, certain sin patterns in their lives and they're addicted to them and they say, I have to have it somewhere within me to accomplish overcoming this addiction and I'm going to keep fighting until that can be true. Instead of saying, I know the power of God is alive in me and it's through his spirit that I can break through this addiction. Not by what I have on my own. I don't know what choice to make, but I know I have to be able to make the right choice. And I know those things that my parents taught me. And I know those things that my colleagues are saying. Or do I trust God and seek him for his wisdom and I allow him to guide me. And then I see the fruit of where I'm growing as I go with the places he leads me. These are the questions that Paul wants us to ask. Paul says, not only do I know Jesus, but I know his power because I've seen what it's done in me. It struck me down on the Damascus road as I went to persecute more in the church and it was revealed to me who God was and then I could see. He really is the resurrected king. I know Jesus isn't just a good man and a good teacher, but I know the things he had to say were true because I've seen the change that has been accomplished in me as I've tried to seek those things. I know how much Jesus loves me because I don't think that it's me who can make me right with God, but I've seen that as I come to God for forgiveness, that I'm made clean. So I know what God has for me. And so this is what Paul celebrates. This is the message where Paul says, this is enough. Jesus is enough. If we would only surrender all these other things that we bring to the table. I love what Paul wrote to another church, the church in Rome. And this is a paraphrase from the message, but I like the way it's worded. It says this in Romans 8, 15 to 17. It says, this resurrection life that you have received is from, from God is not timid, grave-extending life. It's adventurously expecting 
greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. This is a lesson I've been trying to teach my kids. Yesterday, we decided to have a family fun day, and we wanted to sort of surprise our kids with where we were going. And it was so hard for them (laughs) to not have an answer, right? As soon as we're like, it's a surprise. They're like, well, what town are we going to? Well, we're going to Maple Ridge. Oh, what's in Maple Ridge? Okay, Uh, is there this, is this, is this, is this, is this, is this? And they just like wearing us down. We're like, it's a surprise. You're going to love it. I don't know. No, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Okay. Well, finally, we sort of caved, but we brought them to this place, and and they had a great time, right? And then from there, we're like, we're going to go to another place. We're going to go see Uncle Calvin and Auntie Tina. Well, why? Why are we going to go see Uncle Calvin and Auntie Tina? It's a surprise. We're getting something from them. Well, what is it? Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? this? Right? And they just keep going. I'm like, trust me. You're going to love it. (sighs) I guess. Right? And then they get there. And they see the thing Uncle Galvin's giving them. And, and, and then they get to play with it. And wow, this is so amazing. And then we get home after that, drop the dog off at the house. We're going to go out to a restaurant. And Sky just goes, we've been out all day. I don't want to go. <laughs> Kiddo, you're going to love this place. It's the best. I don't want to go, kiddo. We've done this all day. (laughs) Come on along with me. If you just kind of release what you want, I trust you it's going to be better. We don't have much food in the house. It's going to be a pretty boring dinner. But if you come with us, it's going to be great. I don't want to go. Well, you're getting in the car, right? And we put her in the car. (laughs) Drive to the place. Wow, this restaurant's great. They have toys here. They have yard games. They have amazing food. Best Caesar salad I've ever had. Hey, sweetie. Do you think sometimes that you need to re- let go of the things that you want to do and trust mom and dad? Do you think sometimes you just have to follow where we're going to see what it might bring? That's what God says to us so many times over and over again. He says you're holding on so tightly to what you think will bring you the good things from me. And you're getting it wrong. You need to let go of that agenda or that thing that you're resisting. Maybe there's that thing that you really want to hold on to and you don't want to go there. And God's saying, would you just surrender that thing? Will you just allow me to take it from you so I can bring in other pieces of your identity, of my caring, of your understanding of who I am, of your understanding of of what I long to bring? So it's for this reason that Paul says, I press on towards the goal 
The goal of doing all these things, he says to the church, is that I'm encouraging you to do is not so that you can be right with him. It's not so you can look better to others in your church family. The reason we press on is so that we can take a hold of what Jesus already holds on for you and for me. Paul doesn't see himself as the person who's arrived at perfect things and said with humility, he goes, I need to strive towards what Jesus wants because I want to know him more. I want to see the things that he has to bring. No longer is my motivation guilt and shame and baggage and burden and self-image and preservation. It's freedom to see who God is and what he, more he can mean to me. In this sense, it's not just like a, a father-child relationship. Perhaps it's like a marriage relationship. I love this picture. It's going to come up on the screen of two old hands with wedding rings. Because people who have been married a while know that a healthy marriage doesn't arrive once the vows are exchanged, the wedding rings are on, the kiss has been had, and the paperwork's been signed. That's just the beginning, right? That, that, that's, that's just the opening for a new type of relationship where we can get to know one another even more. Like I could not fathom that I could love my wife any more than I did on the day we got married. And now I look back on myself, I'm like, that guy was an idiot. Like he had no idea the good thing he had going. She's even better. My life's way more awesome. Way beyond even that great day that we got to celebrate. In the same way, when we get saved into a relationship with Jesus, it's like the wedding day. It is pretty stinking great. There is a lot to celebrate and have joy for. But God said, this is just the beginning. If you begin to work towards our relationship flourishing, you're going to find that I'm already there and I'm already working and I'm already bringing you along and I want this thing to grow into a place of love. And while we might never see the perfection of this until the destination where God brings us to a new heaven and a new earth, the goal that Paul encourages us on towards, he says, this is what we should do. Verse 15 and 16, all of us then who are mature, if we can see beyond just the wedding day into the far range, all of us, if we can see beyond just the thing I want to do like a child and I'm willing to surrender to the good thing my parent has, if we can mature ourselves to the place to take such a view of such things, we will experience all the more. God's going to make it clear to us and we will live up to what we've already attained, which is the promises of God, and they will come in their fullness. That's what God wants to bring. That's why we push on and strive forward as followers of Jesus. That's why as we go into the rest of this text over the next uh, number of weeks, the next month or so, we're, we're going to continue to encounter Paul saying, these are things I want you to consider doing but I don't want you to do them because it feels like another thing to add. I don't want you to do it because you're not enough for Jesus. I want you to just go with the flow of where God's leading you so you can experience more of his love, 
more of his presence and more of his power in your everyday life. So I encourage you, before we go back to singing in just a moment, to just take a moment to reflect on that. Take a moment to invite the Holy Spirit to just speak to you, to draw a part out of it. If you've got your Bible open, you can look at the passage on, uh, in front of you and just read it. What stands out to me? What do I need to receive? Think back of some of the points that I just made and say, okay, God, what is it that you want me to receive? And I want you to just be drawn by the Spirit to receive his love and where he's leading you. And for those of us who are here, perhaps you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to just consider what it is that you're carrying. What is it that keeps you from knowing Jesus? What's the barrier? What's the thing you think you have to do or the thing that you have to know? And I want you to just consider the fact that Jesus has said, I am enough. I went to the cross for you. I died for you. I live for you. If you put your faith and trust in me, I will bring you life. So let's just take a moment and think on those things. Lord, you are enough. Lord, even as I say that, I recognize that Sometimes it's easier to say than to actually believe. But sometimes it feels like we're not good enough. That we haven't done enough. That we haven't repaid you well. Lord, I'm aware of all my own failings. But Lord, I thank you that you have chosen to forgive me that you've chosen to go to the cross to die for the sins and forgive anyone who would come to you for what you would have them receive. God, I just pray if there's anyone here today and they felt like they can't come to you because they're not good enough, because they're too far away from where you are, Lord God, I just pray that they would receive the message of the cross, that you came for them before they were ever even conceived. And Lord God, that you have made a way for them to come into life with you. God, I pray for those in our church family who just carry a weight of legalism. Whether that was put onto them or that's something they've picked up in their own journey, Lord God, I just pray that you give them freedom. Freedom to know that they don't have to do certain things for you to love them. And that they don't need to put those things on to other people either. Lord God, I pray that there would be freedom from those things in our church family. That we would know that you are enough. And Lord, for the rest of us who struggle with knowing why we pursue you, Lord God, I pray that we would receive the message we hear from Paul. Because it's an invitation into knowing your power and your presence. That it's an invitation to knowing better things. And Lord God, we know we'll slip back into those other reasons of doing things. We know we'll slip back into patterns of not doing those things. And so, God, for that, I thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are like a father with his children who never will stop forgiving us because of your unconditional love. And so, Lord God, as we pursue you, 
would we receive the freedom that comes from knowing who you are. We thank you for your love of us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.